Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and this is my special opening guest, Buster. I love dogs, especially if they're cooked right. <laughs> Just kidding to Buster's owners. Buster and I go a long way back, but uh, this is the first and only time we will have an animal on the show, uh, except for when my brother may make an appearance. So anyway, and we down we go, Buster, Buster, you're a wild dog. <laughs> There he goes, and he gets a pepperoni for his efforts. If you have family or friends who can't get Heart of the Matter on television, tell them to go to www.hotm.tv, and they can watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. We are having difficulty with it. Our managerial staff here at KTMW TV 20 is working hard to get that fixed. I was a born-again Mormon. Manuscripts available for PDF download for free. We're also coming back out with a third edition hard copy, which would be ready in about four weeks, God willing. How's your weekly verse-by-verse Bible study? Join us at campus every Sunday, either at the U of U in Salt Lake City or at the North Campus at Alpine Church. Church. That's located at 5050 South, 1275 West in Riverdale, Utah. Uh, That's going to begin, that campus meeting will begin on May 30th. If you need more information, go to www.calvarycampus.com. Okay, friends of the ministry, get a pen and paper. Our address has changed. If you want to send us something in snail mail, uh, please jot this down. You ready? Alathia Ministries at 4760 Highland Drive, Suite 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Should be on your screen. It is. That's Alathia Ministries for those who are visually impaired, 4760 Highland Drive, Suite 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Every Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m., you can listen to a rebroadcast of Heart of the Matter on uh, KUTR AM 820, The Truth. Uh, That is a radio station that plays really good Christian programming. I listen to it all the time myself, and uh, you can hear Heart of the Matter every Sunday replayed there on AM 820, The Truth. And then finally, this coming Sunday at 5 p.m., I will be uh, speaking at Layton Hills Baptist Church, and that's located at 1332 North Hillfield Road, Layton, Utah. That's 5 p.m. at the Layton Hills Baptist Church. You can find an announcement about that on hotm.tv. We receive a number of letters every week in snail mail. 
This one just really made me happy. It says, attention, S. McCraney, your program is both informative and interesting, exclamation point. However, the picture you present of yourself on TV is absolutely disgusting, followed by nine exclam exclamation points. Why must you look like a hippie, or do you dress in the dark? Please look at what you present to those of us who are interested in the content of your programs, but cringe at the sight of your unkept, slovenly appearance. You need help, and it's signed one less viewer. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe I could just dress up tonight a little bit and try to clean myself up to be uh, acceptable to people who need to have a visual representation of what is being audibly uh, said. And so I did my best to kind of clean up, cut the hair, but then, you know, maybe you're insulted because it's bleached now. Maybe that doesn't fit in with what you like. Maybe God doesn't like men who bleach their hair. Or maybe the flavor saver is offensive to you. Maybe my shirt unbuttoned is something that is offensive to you. Or maybe I'm dressed too nicely. Maybe that's offensive to you too. Do you see the slippery slope you get on when you start looking upon the appearance of men and deciding what their message is or isn't about? Because if I came on and I fit all the criteria that you really liked, then what it's going to mean is I have an ability to sway you. That's why IBM salesmen wear white shirts and they have a uniform they always wear to give you a consistency, to give you a, a thing that you're going to trust in. That's why the LDS missionaries wear the white shirts too. So please try to get around the visuals that you see. We're trying to reach everybody. And I would imagine as Isaiah says that Jesus had nothing that anybody would desire of him that he was not beautiful or comely, that he was like a dried reed grown out of ground, that John the Baptist was a hairy, smelly, grasshopper-eating, goat, leather-girdled guy too, you probably wouldn't listen to him either. So this is the point of why we change it up all the time so you can look at your heart. And with that, let's open with a prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we need you, I need you uh, more than, than anybody I can think of, but uh, we pray that you'll be with us, help us in our lives, help us in our faith, and uh, help us to grow closer to you. Let those who are seeking, seek you. Not listen to me or trust me uh, or anyone else, but to go to you and put their faith and trust in you, God. We pray for that over the volunteers, over our audience, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we ended the show with an LDS caller from Provo named Debbie. In essence, she was perplexed on how believing in something like Mormonism could produce feelings of love and peace if it is so wrong. She then went on to relate a personal story of a trial she faced some 20 plus years ago and how God told her uh, that she needed to read his word. She then said that she picked up the Book of Mormon and as a result, she had a great spiritual confirmation which changed her and blessed her life with feelings of love and peace. Again, she wanted to know, how is it possible if Mormonism is so wrong that I could have this type of response? We ran out of time at this point in the show and I promised I would uh, provide my response tonight. Now, answering this question is not as easy as it might seem. 
To me, the question is like meeting a homeless man or answering it simply is like meeting a homeless man who is dressed in rags, who has no job, is missing most of his teeth, has a broken foot, is covered in lice, and thinking that giving him a, pair, a brand new pair of Kenneth Cole shoes is gonna do anything to solve his problem. Okay, I can give you an answer right now that is just blanket and it might seem like it's answering it, but it's not. So I'm gonna actually talk quite a bit about what Debbie said. Um, there's a lot of cleanup work that needs to be done before we can help the man and before we can give him the brand new pair of shoes or to answer Debbie's question, if it's gonna be of any benefit. But what is wonderful about what Debbie asked last week is that it perfectly dovetails in with our alphabetically chosen topic for tonight, which is familiar spirits. To restate, what Debbie wanted to know is how Mormonism could be so wrong if she, being a believing Latter-day Saint, has experienced healings, love, goodness by and through embracing it, especially after reading the Book of Mormon. So let's examine her question and claim. The first thing to consider in this is that God loves and blesses all of his human creations. He sends the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Atheists enjoy good health as much as Christians, sometimes even more. Since the coming and death of Christ who paid for all sins past, present, and future, all of us find ourselves living in a dispensation of God's uh, grace. And every second we spend living on this spinning globe, he is calling out to each of us, uh, all of us, and always. Some people choose a path of rebellion against him and are blessed with the peace that the world gives. Some choose paths of mediocrity relative to him and they are blessed with material abundance. Behind every blossoming flower, he is saying, please see me. Behind every murder, every death, every bit of suffering, he is reaching out and crying, now hear me. Now hear what I have to say. No matter what the course a person takes, I believe God desires all to come to him and he will use the pleasures, the pains, the lies, and the truth to lead all willing people to see and hear him while somehow he remains true to the unseen principles of free will and choice. This is the first thing to understand. God blesses the just and the unjust. Keeping this in mind, we might also add that the world is then divided into two and only two sides. The one side is of God and the other is of everything else. All right. And the everything else encompasses a broad, broad spectrum of lifestyles, choices and, and uh, opportunities. This realm existing outside of God's will can include what human beings might label as good. It might include what they call bad. In other words, people and groups can represent, feel, and do a lot of good stuff. And it may in the end prove to be outside of God's will. Does that make sense to you? Let me repeat it. People can do a lot of very good things. They can do a lot of hopeful things. They can do a lot of service. And it still can exist outside of God's will. So we've discussed two facts to consider. First, God loves and blesses all 
good and the ungood, and we are either operating and responding according to his will, or we are operating outside of his will and therefore of something else. Now, some people, especially in this day and age, have concluded that everything is good, meaning everything is of God, but from a biblical perspective, this just is not so. Bible-believing people could not possibly accept the notion that everything is acceptable to God, because if this was so, then the words and life of Jesus were holy and authentic. If everything is good to God, then Jesus lied. So I am going to leave this kind of popular ecumenical view outside on the porch. And we're not going to talk about this universalist, everything leads to God and everything is of God and or everything is God. Debbie asked, how could something be so wrong yet fill her with love and promise and hope? Something that has even changed her life. I would in turn ask her, How does every ardent, faithful Muslim make the same claim, Debbie? And how do you respond when they say the Quran changed their lives? Debbie, what do we do with the Dalai Lama and his followers who are also full of love and peace? Is he in his ways just as viable to God as Jesus was? Is the Dalai Lama a very equal replacement to what Jesus said and did? Because rest assured, Debbie, the Dalai Lama does not receive Jesus at his word. Neither do the Buddhists, neither do the Muslims. Yet many of them are filled with love and peace too. What would you say, Debbie, to a stalwart member of the Third Reich, who with renewed hope and vigor for his new life and with love for the motherland, says with tears that the Fuhrer and Mein Kampf have changed him and given him new life? What do we say when someone says they read Mein Kampf or Hoffer's The True Believer or the Satanic Bible and they are filled with new love and new hope and a new perspective that gives them a new lease on life? There are people who walk about apparently teeming with love, Debbie, the hippies of the 60s, the followers of Jim Jones, the Hare Krishnas, whose beliefs and professions actually counter the teachings of Jesus, and the good news that he proclaimed. Either we say all roads like these lead to heaven, or we say no roads matter at all, or we claim that there is only one way, as Jesus said, and we must determine its value and truth outside of our personal and subjective opinions and experiences. Jesus himself said something really insightful regarding people of light, who are in the dark. That's how it says. In Matthew 6, 23, he said, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, the whole body is full of light. What did he mean when he said, therefore, if your eye be single? He meant that if your eye is totally sold out to who he is, totally sold out to God, then your body will be full of this light. Okay? But then he continues on and he says, But... If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And he says, listen to this. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? What does Jesus mean when he says, if therefore the light that is in you be darkness? 
How can a person have light that is in them that is actually called darkness? In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says something that's really interesting. He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? I don't know that many people who are saying they're prophesying in his name, but he says they will. And, and in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name, he says, done many wonderful works. And Jesus said, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, he says, you that work iniquity. So he has people saying, I've done many wonderful works. And he says, get away from me, you who work iniquity. How does that work? How is that light darkness? Could it be, Debbie, that there are spiritual and religious counterfeits out there that actually give the appearance of being true and full of light, but are in reality dark? Since the beginning, there have existed alternatives or counterfeits, if you will, to God's will and his ways. When Aaron, the brother of Moses, took his rod or staff, he threw it down on the ground in front of Pharaoh and it became a serpent according to Exodus 7, 11 through 12. And then 7, 11 says, Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. In 2 Corinthians, Paul warns believers in Corinth about deceivers. And just listen to what he says. It has amazing applications to the religion called Mormonism. Listen. For such, he says, are false apostles, deceiving workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. The context of this passage is made even more complete when we consider what Paul wrote just three verses before, saying, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Do the Hare Krishna, Islam, Taoists, or the followers of the Dalai Lama retain the simplicity that is in Christ. No, because they don't receive him at his word. They add to it, they take from it, they discount it altogether. So even though many followers of these faith claims, yes, even appear to possess personal peace and love for man and beast, could we say that their minds have been corrupted from the simplicity found in Christ? Yes, we could. Can we say the same for Mormonism and its doctrines? Abso-freaking-lutely. So the question remains, how was Debbie able to have changed from the, for the better, and I could debate that, but I won't tonight because of time, how could she change for the better by reading the Book of Mormon? Could it be that her getting better is a case of light actually being a form of darkness? or of like the sorcerer's snake or another beguiling angel of light doing his work. And if it is, how can we prove it? First, let me make it clear that God is constantly working on Debbie, just like he is constantly working on me.
He loves her as much as anyone else. And he is still calling to her, even though she believes she has found an in-all solution of her spiritual life in Mormonism and its fictional writings. In the meantime, God heals Mormons like he heals Jehovah's Witnesses, like he heals Muslims, Buddhists, and Christians. But because God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike, we cannot make the mistake of saying God is in favor of Mormonism because a Mormon has been blessed any more than we can say God has approved of Jim Jones because Jim Jones was blessed with a lot of money and land. Remember, God loves all and blesses all. So how can we tell if Islam, Buddhism, Baptists, Methodists, Mormons, and or any other faith is on God's side or rests on the other side of everything inclusive? There are a number of qualifiers. Let me go through them quickly. First, we need to, look, we need to take a look at the group's simplicity in Christ or a believer's simplicity in Christ. Has a respective believer or faith added to the simplicity of believing in Christ? Have they taken from it? Have they ignored it altogether? Do they alter it to fit their desires and wants of works they want done? Secondly, we ought to look at the fruits they produce and see what the origin and purpose is of those fruits. Does the fruit of such a people or a person, is it produced in order to glorify God? Does somebody in their life or some faith, do they do the works they do and point straight to God and glorify him? Or does the works they do glorify man, a religious institution, or another religious movement? There's another indicator. How do the beliefs and doctrines of the faith in question measure up to the word of God? Are they consistent with the word of God or are those doctrines far afield? It's really interesting, but the Bible, never in the Bible does it say, listen, pray about this to see if it's true. It doesn't say that because it realizes that emotionally we can pray about something to see if it's true and be completely beguiled by our own thoughts and our imaginations. What the word of God does tell us to do is to test all spirits, it says. It's really interesting because here we have a world of good and bad, dark and light spirits. And the Bible says, this is what you do. Test all spirits. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not in every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. If someone comes up and makes a claim and they say, pray about this and see if it's true. That's an inferior and non-biblical way to discover truth. What you do is you say, certainly, let me embrace this. Let me take this in. And you open up the book and you see, does it coincide with the simplicity of Christ or does it conflict with the simplicity of Christ? It doesn't matter if the claim a person makes makes you happier or wealthier or heals you or makes you thinner or causes hair on your balding head to sprout. If it does and it's counter to this word, it's a dark principality that draws from a force unseen. Finally, I believe it's important to examine the original seeds of faith and see how these things sprouted. Islam originated with Muhammad and a book he received by revelation, very similar to Joseph Smith. Islam claims that their book, the Quran, is the most correct book on the face of the earth. 
Buddhism originated with the Buddha sitting under the bow tree and contemplating suffering in life. Do his teachings stand up against what Jesus said? And Mormonism. When you really, truly, all said and done, look at Mormonism's origins and how it's prospered and flourished, uh, it all came about from the occult. Now, I am not a wild, oh my goodness, you know, this or that, but this is fact. Go to utlm.org, utlm.org, and check my facts, my friends, and you will see the origins of the spiritualism that is in this religion. It's not by mistake that throughout uh, the Bible, God warns his people in the Old Covenant and his people in the New Covenant to be very, very careful of deceiving spirits. Where people on God's side are led by him and his word, Holy Spirit and his word, people who fall into the other realm of influences are often overpowered or taken in by strange and, and powerful forces seen and unseen. Paul said in Galatians that there would come some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And he adds, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, unto you. That means the gospel of the good news of grace, belief on Christ. That's what he's saying. If anyone else comes, even an angel of light that preaches another gospel, he says, let them be accursed. And he repeats this. Earlier in Corinthians, Paul warns believers of those who would come, he says, quote, to preach another Jesus, he says, whom we have not preached, or to try to get them to, quote, receive another spirit, which they have not received, or another gospel, which they had not uh, accepted. These gospels that preach another Jesus and seek to get people to receive another kind of spirit or which comes through another type of gospel all operate in one way or another in these avenues and byways and alleys of dark spiritual forces. Sitting, uh, I was supposed to say sitting in front of me, it's actually in my car. I have a book about this thick about this big, and it's a voluminous work, and it's written by D. Michael Quinn, PhD from Yale, LDS when he wrote the book, and it's titled Early Mormonism and the Magic World View. It explains in great detail the early roots of Joseph Smith's family and their involvement in the occult, in magic, and numerous visitations with many, many different spirits of light. By the time you're done reading that book, you will know the origins and doctrines of Joseph Smith's practice was occult-based. Before a Mormon tells you that they know the LDS church is true or that they know Thomas Monson is a living prophet, see if they also know that Joseph Smith's parents and siblings, especially in his father, were heavily involved in seeking for buried treasure and for, seek and for seeking for uh, secret spirits too, by looking through a magical peep stone and, and being able to see the unseen world. Joseph Smith was his father's favorite companion on these night trips to discover this stuff. Ask these people if they know that Joseph Smith Jr. translated the sacred Book of Mormon record, literally, this is church history, by taking a seer stone, putting it in a hat, putting his face in the hat, and reciting what the spiritual seer stone told him. See if they know that the second president of the LDS church, Brigham Young, said, every man who lived on earth is entitled to have his own seer stone and should have one. Ask them if they know that Joseph Smith's sacred seer stone is still in possession of the prophet of this church in his office today. 
Are they awaiting, uh, ask them if they're aware that they use di divining or divining rods, I think divining rods, that's where you have those things and you go and it leads you where it's going and it tells you where to do things. Oliver Cowdery was taught, uh, Joseph Smith has God talk about Oliver Cowdery's gift of using these rods in the Doctrine and Covenants. And Brigham Young employed the magic of a divining rod to actually locate the spot where they put the Salt Lake City Temple. This is how it was discovered. Did you know that Joseph Smith carried around a Jupiter talisman with him everywhere he went? And it was directly tied to the occult and its powers. His birth and life fell under the sign of Jupiter. And he believed everything that had to do with the powers that come with that occult uh, magic. Did you know that the founding prophet also carried around separate magic parchments that you open them up and they protected him from magic sorcerers and evils and, and, and deeds? So did his brother Hiram. Did you know Brigham Young carried two seer stones and a bloodstone amulet on a chain everywhere he went, especially when he went somewhere where he thought it was dangerous? Did you know that the LDS Church was founded on a day entrenched in Joseph Smith's personal astrology, which includes important ties to Jupiter and its interactions with the sun? Did you know that the supposed visit of the angel Moroni on the night of the, was on the night of the autumnal equinox, and it was on this very important occultic night that Joseph says he met and re-met with the same angel of light for years and years and years until the Book of Mormon was completed? Did you know Joseph Smith actually taught Mormons how to tell the difference between a good angel and a bad angel, and it was done through a rite of shaking hands with them? Did you know that this method is still taught in the LDS Doctrine and Covenants? Speaking of today, did you know the LDS relish in telling stories of dead and departed spirits coming to visit them in their temples, but that the Bible says such spirits could not possibly come from God? Did you know that the LDS leaders have actually said that the Book of Mormon possesses a familiar spirit? with that of the Bible, but that the Bible itself says avoid anything that has to do with familiar spirits. Let me conclude. Leviticus 19.31 says, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am your Lord, your God. Leviticus 26, the soul that turneth after such has a familiar spirit and after wizards to go a whoring after them. I will even set my face against that soul. And De Deuteronomy 18.11 says to beware of charmers or those who consult with familiar spirits or with wizards or with necromancers. 2 Kings 23 says, Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah. He talks about taking them away. And finally, in Isaiah, he says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter, should not a living people seek after a living God and the, and the other living for their dead? My friends, do not be misled, uh, for misleaders are everywhere. The word of God is trustworthy. The word of men are not. Try and test all spirits, See if they stand the litmus test of what the Bible produces and let the bad ones, even if they do good things, fly away. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We're going to take a brief message and we're going to come back to Sarah and Dell and Michael and Stacy. And uh, let's check this message out. 
You know, when we started in the ministry uh, over four years ago, there was only a few things that we purchased, and one of them was this uh, Howdy Partner sign. And I just want to come to you, invite you to partner with us here in Aletheia Ministries with the good news of Jesus Christ, taking it out into the world, especially the people who are LDS. Why become a partner with Aletheia Ministries? I want to give you three reasons. First, we're a viable ministry. We're growing. We are expanding the emails, the uh, communications uh, show it. Two, we're going national. On June 8th, we are going to be joining with the NRB and hitting another possibly uh, 60 million households uh, every week. And with that comes some uh, added responsibility in the financial department. And then finally, we see a lot of fruit. The Lord has blessed us greatly with people who come out of Mormonism as a result of a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise Him for that. If the Lord so inclines you, and if you uh, believe that you are in a position to help us, we'd really appreciate it. There are three ways to do it. You can first go and write us through the mail, 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84104. That's the snail mail address. If you want to go quicker, you can uh, email us. Uh, go to hotm.tv, and uh, that will tell you everything on what you need to do online. And then if you want to even get to us in a more timely manner, call us at 888-868-4686. We are really grateful for people who come along, and they partner with us in prayer. They are our friends. They support us in whatever way they can. But if you feel so inclined to kind of join with us, partner with us with this monthly commitment, we hope you'll do it. Thanks for watching. We're back, Buster's fine, and uh, we're moving on through the show. Listen, uh, we really hope the LDS will call, and uh, if you've called before and you're a uh, Christian or another faith, you're not LDS, maybe hold back so the LDS can get through, but if not, you have something pressing, it's okay. We just really want the LDS to call, and we'll try to have a respectful dialogue uh, with each other. We're going to Sarah and Draper, first-time caller. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Um, okay, so two things. The first is, um, I don't always agree with what you wear, but I really don't care. Um, I just wanted to say that's not what matters, and if people want to poke fun at you, um, I think it's ridiculous. Um, I Me too. I think you should check out Second Kings 2 and just see what Elisha did to those people who made fun of his appearance. It's a really interesting story. Yes, it is. Um, the second thing is, I was just wondering, do Mormons believe that it's okay to lie in order to protect their religion? And the reason I'm asking is because a couple weeks ago on Ancient Past with Jason Wallace, Mm -hmm. he had a conversation with Martin Tanner, Mm -hmm. and Martin Tanner was trying to argue that Mormons are Christians. And when Jason pointed out that Mormons believe in multiple gods, Mr. Tanner insisted that so did the early church. Um, Jason asked, well, you know, where do you find that? And Mr. Tanner basically said, well, it's all over the place. And he didn't really, you know, give a firm answer. So I just wanted to see what you made of that. Well, there is some, uh, some writings that are out there. Uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. There's some people who have hypothecated that maybe some uh, Jewish sects might have believed, believed in a multiplicity of gods. I mean, paganism and polytheism was all through the Old Testament. That was the culture that surrounded them. So it wouldn't be surprising if some of that crept into the children of Israel. But it certainly is not part of the biblical text. Um, and so as far as Mr. Martin and his, his premise, he should have had his, his re- references there to back up what he was saying. But he's referencing things like that. As far as lying, 
there's, there's some things out there about lying for the Lord. And I know that Bob Millett uh, has addressed that in some video that someone caught him talking on behind the scenes. Um, I don't believe that they generally want to teach, listen, lie. I really think that they guise it under the uh, premise of um, milk before meat. That you first let somebody know that they, they believe in faith in Jesus Christ. And then once they've embraced that, then they let them know that they believe in the Holy Spirit. And once they believe that, they believe in having many wives. So it's, it's a process. And it's a milk before meat thing. And that's how they justify it. Actually outright lying for the Lord. I'm not sure that really has been ever, uh, in, definitely not emphatically taught by an apostle or a member of the uh, Quorum of the Twelve. Okay, Sean, thanks. Just wondering. Uh, we and, all love your show. My whole family watches it, so just th wanted to... Thanks for thanks. calling, Sarah. Okay, thanks. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. We are going to Stacy in Lytton, Utah. Stacy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Stacy. Hi. Who's up? This is Sean. Hi. Sorry, you're talking to Sarah right now, it looks like. But... Am I going to, I'm not going to get a talk to you anyways. But anyways, I was going to ask you, okay, you know what you were saying about, um, if you, you, the Mormons, they say if you pray about it, you'll find out if this is true or not. Well, yeah. I've prayed, I cannot even tell you how many times, and I've just not received it. I don't know if it's because I have true Christian background and I actually read my Bible or what, but I just have never got that. So you kind of answered my question for me right there. Oh, good. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of other things. Like I have two children that are being raised LDS, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's very heartbreaking. What can I do? I mean. Well, you know, you, you do what Jesus would have done, and that, and I'm sure you are, Stacy, and that's you just love your children, and, and you don't cram uh, Christianity down their throat. You talk to them if they have questions. But you don't want to become, you know, the the opposite because it's just going to create a big battle. So you just love right, them. And it, and it has. I mean, my mother was LDS, my father Lutheran, and all my life this has been a battle. I mean, at the time of birth, I was, I was, you know, from the time before I was even one years old, I was blessed a Mormon, and I'm baptized a baby, and so I have all this commotion within my own self. I mean, honestly, if I were LDS, I would have committed suicide a long time ago because. <laughs> We cannot be perfect. And Someone who, just clapped. I mean, how does that make you feel to know on a daily basis you're not perfect? Yeah. I mean, no matter what I do, I'm never going to be good enough to, you know what I'm saying? And in, in their eyes, that's yeah. not Christ's way. Yeah, that's, and you know, there are not. there are some Christian churches who do the same thing to people. Like you're never good enough, you know, you can never be good enough in those religious circles too. It's not just Mormonism. So it's what it is, it's legalism. And that is not what Jesus came to do. He came to save us in our sin and then to help us progress out of our sin because we know of his love and power. So, so I understand maybe, what you're... What's that? Do you think maybe organized religion altogether is just kind of a crock in itself? I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe people should be more into what's going on with the Bible than what's going on in an organized religion setting. I mean... Well, you just, you just threw me up on my soapbox, Stacy. See, here's the problem, and this is what's happened. You see, you have, you have at one time little house churches where the people were teaching the Word of God and they were happy with that. Well, somebody in some of those house churches was a really good teacher. And so that house started getting crowded. And so they said, well, hey, let's, we need to get a bigger place. Let's get a building. 
So they buy a building and it's, it's big and that, that one teacher is really popular. So more come to it and then they say, wow, we're re-. he starts thinking I'm really something. So then they start saying, hey, everybody start paying more money and then let's get a big cathedral. That's really beautiful because that will honor God more. Well, it also is honoring the guy who's teaching. And then pretty soon it becomes what we call religion. And then everything starts revolving around rules and, and appearances and how we're doing instead of just this book. So I am on the soapbox with you. And I think that what's happened what is did, churches, church, I'm, I'm on the soapbox. Churches don't teach the Bible anymore because what it does is it cleans out the people who come because they're not being entertained and because they're not getting their ears itched because they're not being told they're okay. That they're, they're being told they're sinners if they're being taught the Bible. So pastors start saying, well, I'm not gonna teach this anymore. I wanna fill the church. We gotta pay the bills. And right, so it's absolutely, a nightmare. Absolutely, that's exactly right. You're right on. Thank you. One last thing I wanted to ask you. Okay, what is the first commandment? Is it not to? Isn't about God? There's only one God, right? So have no other gods before me. Isn't that the first commandment? Yeah. Okay, so this is my last question for you. Okay. By the way, I love you. I just want to tell you that you're Thanks. wonderful. But um. The last question for you is if we're only supposed to have one God, how can this religion, how could any religion believe that when we die and we leave this place that we could become, that we're going to, you know how it goes in that religion, yeah, how yeah. you're going to become a God yourself and make it to the celestial glory and all the... Place to the pride, place to our ego, place to who we are as men and women. Nothing better than think you're going to be a God, you know? Right, yeah. absolutely, huh? Yeah, I guess... Thanks. That'd be pretty sick, actually. Yeah. Would it, you really want to be God? Would you want to? I know, especially with my wardrobe. I'd show up and everyone would laugh at me. <laughs> oh. Anyways, I like what you wear. And have a good day. Thanks, Thank Casey. You. Take care. God bless. <laughs> Bye-bye. We're going to Michael and Ogden, uh, first-time caller. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, yeah, sure. And I want to make a quick point to everybody out there, religious or non-religious, and that is um, let the Bible interpret itself. Oh. It, 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 people always say there are so, some contradictions in the Bible and whatnot, and the Bible can interpret itself. Amen. That's, I, okay. And the other thing, brother, is you look like the chameleon every time I see you. You're changing so much, but it's cool. <laughs> and then the last thing, when you went on your mission, okay, did the, back then, the, the, um, when you were on your mission, did you guys have like a um, 17 points of the true church? Yeah. Okay. Remember one of them that says it has to have Christ's name in it? Yeah. Okay, now when Paul wrote to the, the, his epistles, the majority of them, what did they say? To the church of God at Corinth. Right. To the church of God. Right there. Yeah. Where, you know, so they were all named based knowledge. on the city. They were, they were, huh? Yeah, they were all named on the base of the city. They weren't... They weren't yeah, the and he would say to yeah. the church of God. Yeah. yeah. yeah isn't that it amazing? Is, I mean, well, God is Christ, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, but let the Bible interpret the Bible, and uh, hey, man, good. Hey, this could be one of you. So you go on national. What are you going to be on? What station? Uh, NRB Network and Sky Angel starting June 8th. We'll give more information as we get the times and everything down. Hey, keep up the good work, man. Bless Thanks. You. God bless you. Take care. Bye bye. You know this chameleon thing is true because I, I was in the airport and I literally coming in because I did the the hair now and cut off the thing. I had people like walk toward me like and stop, and they didn't know who it was. They, they couldn't tell. Last time they saw me, I was a hippie. So it works to my advantage, too. It's a great thing. Nancy says that there are great Bible-believing teachers that are grounded in the Word. 
Thank you, Nancy. There certainly are, but there's not enough of them. And there's far too much mega church and there's far too much religiosity and there's far too much uh, people that, where it seems like it's in the word, but it's not. But I agree with you, Nancy. That's why the church of Jesus Christ has continued on since the ascension and, and the gates of hell haven't been able to prevail against it is because there are faithful men and people who do teach the word. But in this day and age, the day of Laodicea, when the church has become weak and it's become lukewarm, it's because Laodicea means lukewarm and it means they want to hear themselves speak. And so pastors get up and they teach really good stories that are not part of the word. And what it does is it makes very weak uh, Christians. All right, we're going to Dell in Layton, Utah. Dell, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, um, I called several weeks ago and told you that I was a baptized Mormon and uh, I, I got so scared that I got out of it. I felt like it was, I was stuck in the middle of a cult. Um, my one question to you is... Um, the thing about Mormonism is they, they preach, uh, you know, the gospel about Joseph Smith and everything, but the thing that really bothers me is how can they crucify their own people, the polygamists, lock them up, take their kids from them, and teach them what they're doing is wrong is when Joseph Smith was the creator of that. Yeah. That's one thing that really, really freaks me out about this church. Everything they preach is so fake, and they're crucifying their own people. Well, they say that the, uh, the fundamentalists broke away and didn't follow the uh, chain of command and stopped listening to the living prophet and developed their own prophets. And so that's why the LDS church proper here in Salt Lake, the big monolithic church, persecutes the, well, they don't persecute them, but they just keep them down and out and away. It's because they say they have become corrupted because they didn't live, listen to the living prophet who in 19, uh, uh, 1890 said, hey, no more polygamy. And they said, too bad, we're going to keep practicing. Well, the reason they keep practicing, you know, is because they taught it's an eternal principle that you have to obey this in order to become a god. It was all through their teaching. And the, the doctrine of polygamy, plural marriage, is still in the doctrine and covenants and is still effective. It just isn't effective here in this life. But right now, if, if I was LDS, I could have several wives sealed to me because polygamy it is, is an still eternal very effective, And that's what scared me most about being a member of the church because that's what they preach when they baptize you. That's why they give you that name is because you are to be one of his wives in the later life. What? And that's the scary part about that religion. What do you mean when you're baptized, you're given a name to be one of his wives? When you, when you go to the temple and oh, the, the temple, temple. Oh. you're baptized, you go in the circle and they rename you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which okay. you're not supposed to be told. Yeah. Which is, I could get excommunicated for what I just said right now. Yeah. Which, which and I could be killed for what you just said right now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I get what you mean now. But also, they're preaching, they're, they're crucifying their own people when they take you into the temple and do the same thing to you that they're crucifying their people for. Yeah. I don't understand that. And that's one reason that I got out of it. And you had asked me the last time I called, what am I doing now for my life? And I said, I'm now going to a Christian church where I can be myself and I can go in and wear whatever I want, be myself, and I'm comfortable. I don't have to be in anybody's home to have God in my life. Praise God. Thanks for but calling, Dell. You take care. One, the one thing I did have to tell you is I'm so thankful for you coming out to late, and I'm looking forward to you, and praise God. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We are going to two LDS callers. Uh, we're going to Dottie and Sandy. 
Dottie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, I, I just wanted to tell you how I, I, I I'm LDS. Uh-huh. I, I, do, I do the best I can, but perfection is something we don't achieve in this life. Right. But, um, but I want you to tell how much I love mankind. Christ loves everyone. I don't think anyone that's not my religion is a, not a good person, because anyone that is trying to be good to their fellow man, love everyone, and love Christ is a good person. And so please don't make me feel bad about some of the things I believe because perhaps those things are very sacred to me, and I would never criticize what anyone else believes. Okay, Dottie, in terms of your beliefs and your faith, there's not one single comment I can make. I, I don't know you, and I believe whatever you say is truly your heart, and, and God judges us based on our hearts. But Dottie, what I, what I do know is what your, the religion that you embrace has officially said and done over the years, and so please, what... Please, please, you're criticizing my religion, and you know what, I love you. I okay, wait, Dottie, Dottie, like, Dottie, don't criticize my Dottie, Thank Dottie, you. wait a minute. Did she hang up? Well, Dottie, you see, your religion criticizes mine, and it has from the beginning. In 1820, Joseph Smith said, God said, hey, look at these, all these Christian denominations and churches are corrupt. And their pre preachers are all an abomination. Their creeds are an abomination to me. And don't join any of them. And in the early part of the church, all the way up till this recent, let's be politically uh, accepted by the world bit that they're doing in the past 10 years, up until that, I cut my teeth on a religion. I served a mission knocking on doors telling people, you're not going to go to heaven by believing these false corrupt teachings of the Christian church, of believing that you're going to be saved by grace. And so I was a, a warrior. I was an army man for the Mormon church and taught people that because that's what I was taught. So Dottie, don't call and say, don't pick on my religion. Your religion picks and it drew first blood. And Jesus, though he loved everybody, to just love, you know, flowers in our hair, just love is irresponsibility, Dottie. Jesus loved, but he shared the truth. Now, the truth alone without love is brutality. It's beating you in the face. I'm trying not to do that. But I have to mix truth with love. And that's what you're getting. So maybe before you defend it, you ought to understand what it has represented and continues to represent toward the rest of the faiths and the people you say are all good and how that you love them and all this. This is all just hippie flower talk, hate Ashbury. And it doesn't have any sense relative to God and his word. Okay, let's go to Frank and Orem, first time caller. Frank, you're on Heart of the Matter. Frank? Yes. You're on the air. Hey, Sean. Hi, Frank. <laughs> hey, bud. <laughs> hey, I was just wanting to ask you, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I moved here like a couple years ago from the south, you know, and it's, it's a lot different here. You know, I was raised Baptist and things like that, but, you know, the biggest thing that bugs me here is I attended the LDS church one time and went in there and I didn't see one Bible. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? You know? And then everybody's telling me, well, the Book of Mormon relates to the Bible. <laughs> and I just don't understand that. Yeah. It relates to it because it plagiarized it. That's how it relates to it. Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you, Sean, you need to come to Utah County, man. 
You know, I came down there uh, 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 and I talked once, but uh, I left without uh, uh, a car with wheels or anything else. That's a dangerous place down there. <laughs> you live in a very dangerous place. No, I'm kidding yeah. you. I like Utah County, and we do come down usually in the summer. So we'll make an appointment. We'll let you know when we do it. Do. Hey, thanks, bud. Thanks, Frank. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. We got Brian from Provo. He's LDS, and he's a first-time caller. Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Got... I am here. Hey, Brian, you got to turn your TV down. I just did. All right, man, you're on the air. Okay, I don't, I don't hear myself on the screen, though. No, I know. That's because you turned your TV down. <laughs> I'm, watching the, I'm watching the television, and it says you're talking to Frank in Orem. Is that you? You're Brian in Orem. No, I'm Brian in Provo. You're Brian in Provo. Well, you're on the air, believe me. Okay. Well, it's not necessarily uh, a focused question that I have other than to basically help you to understand that I've been excommunicated from the church twice. <laughs> okay? Okay. But rebaptized because I, as you said in shows many, many weeks ago, you felt that you were saved by the Lord. Yeah. And you were saved away from the church. Well, I'm just the opposite because I personally had to embrace the Lord through the church because I was self-destructive when I was not in the church. All right. Okay? Now, as far as the authority, my basic question is, where do you feel that you get your authority to preach the way that you do? Because for me, I, I actually feel that you do a service for the LDS Church because it's like throwing manure on a rose bush. That rose bush is going to come out smelling better and become more beautiful the more manure you throw on it. And that's what you do every week. And that rose bush is really thorny. You know, Brian, but, I, I understand that perspective, and I, I might even agree with you. I mean, use me as a service. Uh, fine. You, you, I am willing to accept all the LDS people who actually believe that they're going to die and stand before God and hold out to Him a bunch of righteous works and say, I was a high priest. Here are my righteous works. I, I just, what can I do but smile and let them do that? But let me, well, be, that manu let me be that manure that helps those other uh, plants that have fallen away from the rose bush and let me help them grow in Christ. Let me be a manure for those people who have not been able to embrace the LDS way honestly, authentically, and they want to be right with God, but they haven't been able to or don't want to embrace all the doctrines of Joseph Smith. Let me well, that, be the, That's what we're doing, Brian. But I want to talk to you about something. What was the first thing you said talking about being excommunicated and you had to, the church, you had to come to the Lord through the church because you were self-destructive? That's exactly right. Okay. Well, you know that there are, there are groups out there that would help you with self-destruction that have no ties to religion at all. Uh, Absolutely. So, and I, I tried some of those. But for me, the truth was in the priesthood. The priesthood? The truth is in the gospel for me. 
Okay. What is what is that truth you're speaking of that it was in for you that that you needed? What is this priesthood or truth that they had that helped you not be a destructive man? Well, the fact that I, I realize you don't agree, right? But with just explain it. The church. And by the way, I, I have had two sons serve missions. I have another one. That's all ancillary. Mind. Just give me, tell me exactly, Brian, what it is in the church, the priesthoods or whatever it was that helped you overcome well, it, your self-destructive nature. Whether you agree with it or not. It's Again? The, the, the priesthood authority okay. to be able to act in the name of the Savior. Okay. Let me tell and you something. Being his representative on the earth. Oh through the authority given to mankind. You know what, Brian? When Jesus died on the cross, the priesthood authority, which was necessary to officiate in the, in the temple of Herod, was ripped in two. And God said, it's open to everybody who believes. It's open to people completely, and it's your belief on the Son who heals people. You have been healed in part by a false light. You've been healed by a belief in a priesthood which is non-existent. If you want to sit down and talk about it through scripture, I'll show you. Any Christian will show you. It's a lie. They don't have a priesthood. It was abolished when Christ died. And you are calling and saying that you, and I'm sorry to say this, because I believe your life is better, but your life should be healed by your faith on the Son, not on a priesthood or a religion that propagates it. Do you it's, it's my, my, my recovery in life was based on my love, appreciation, and respect of the Lord. Okay, I accept that. But, but yet through the priesthood, I have regained my life in service of others and being able to be an example that priesthood. of what the Lord is Brian. Done. That priesthood is no different than you joining the Foreign Legion, the Peace Corps, the Salvation Army, and their outward works. That priesthood is just like a men's club. There's no difference in how it effectively works in your life. Now, I don't deny that you could be a Latter-day Saint and have a relationship with the Lord that's changed your life. I absolutely embrace that. But you have equivocated this priesthood somehow to a relationship with Christ who is our only meteor. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life by which we can be reconciled to God. So that's, that's where exactly I right. hate to hear you say it that way. For me, Sean, it, it's basic. I have, my testimony is rooted in the Lord and his power, which I feel and can testify was restored through the prophet Joseph. Well, it was basically given through Peter, James, and John. Yeah, no, okay. it wasn't. But for me... It, it, no, it wasn't for you, though, Brian. Uh, please, do me one favor, just one favor. Call me a liar. Go read Grant Palmer's book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, and read about the Peter, James, John, the priesthood. Just read a, from an LDS member who wrote about it. Please. Oh, I, I understand that. And you don't I, understand I it, Brian. I have personal friends that have left the church because of certain things that they read, certain things that they hear. This is, this is not what we're with. talking. We're, and, we're out of time, my friend. We have 15 seconds left. It's been a good call. Please search before you tag onto this thing and hook your wagon to something that is not the Lord. We're out of time. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. We're talking about families.